Uh, this morning we are we have a, a little bit longer uh, section we're going to cover this morning. Um, so we're going to start in uh, verse 29 and go all the way to the end of chapter 1. So John uh, 29 all the way through 51 is today's um, section of Scripture. So um, I will read those verses together and then we will pray together, okay? So again, John uh, chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 29. <clears throat> the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is He of whom I said, After me comes a man who was preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but when he should, but, but that he should be revealed to Israel, therefore I come baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Again, the next day, John stood with two of his disciples. And looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned, and seeing them following, said to them, What do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, this is to say, when translated teacher, Where are you staying? And he said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and remained with him that day. Now it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Now, when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated a stone. The following day, Jesus wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, Follow me. And Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I have said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Most assuredly I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open, and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, this uh, thank you for our time this morning. Father, as we open your word, Father, if we are to have uh, any understanding, Father, you uh, will need to give it to us. And so we just pray that uh, your truth, you'll be here with us. Father, you will open our hearts and our minds. Um, to see the truth that you have for us in your scripture and your word. And we just pray that you'll bless this time together. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There 
is a lot happening here in these verses. It's a longer reading. Um, again, y'all know we use uh, Dr. Sproul's commentary on these uh, verses as the outline, as the main um, lesson plan, if you want to call it that, the context for these lessons. And he chose to spend and focus a lot of his time on one particular thing, and we'll get to that in a minute. Um, there's a lot of things here, a lot of, uh, of good things uh, to pull away from here. Um, but we're going to focus um, mainly on the use of the title of Jesus as being the Lamb of God. And we're going to talk about that because that's what he spent his time uh, studying. Um, the, when, you, when we get to this section, um, as, as Sproul introduced uh, his lesson on this section, he mentioned um, the use of, of titles. And we see a lot of titles here. And he talked about the way, um, and we've, it's been kind of in the news here lately with the death of the Queen, uh, Queen Elizabeth, um, of all these titles, you know, and all these royalty titles. And, and uh, I, you know, English royalty has never been anything that really interests me, but it's been, it, 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 there's titles after titles after titles after titles. You all know, you know that we've, we've seen all these these different titles of, of, of royalty. Um, and um, when, uh, and, and of course, I, w- I guess I was a little bit, I guess, amazed that they had that many different titles. But um, Dr. Sproul said when he talked about titles and the use of titles, uh, he said he had, he recalled at one point when he was, I think he was actually uh, <clears throat> in seminary, or he was teaching at a seminary, I can't remember what he said, he was listening to a New Testament scholar that came in to give um, a lesson. And when he got up to speak, he did something that had never been done before at this particular uh, seminary. He began a 30-minute talk or lecture uh, without comment, and he recited all the titles of Christ that are found in the New Testament. And it took him about 30 minutes. 30 minutes. No, again, without comment. Just reciting the different titles of Christ that are found in the New Testament. So... The, you know, the, the, the British royalty ain't got nothing on Jesus, right? He's, uh, they ain't got nothing on him. Uh, we, Jesus has many, many titles. Uh, he mentioned, uh, this scholar, he mentioned the Christ, the Son of Man, uh, the Son of God, Lord, the Consolation of Israel, the Lion of Judah, which is one of my favorite, uh, the Alpha and Omega, and many, many, many more. And then he sat down. And it took 30 minutes. 30 minutes to go over the different titles. Well, right here in the first chapter of John, which we just finished reading, we see some of those titles used right here. In verse 1, we remember as we covered, we see Jesus called uh, the Word. That was a title given to Him. Uh, The Word who, as you remember, was with God and was God. In the verses that we read uh, here today, we see John the Baptist calling Jesus the Lamb of God. We see that in verse uh, 29. In verse 34, John the Baptist asked, adds, I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Another title, a Lamb of God, the Son of God. In verse 36, it contains a second reference uh, from John the Baptist referring to Jesus as the Lamb of God. 
in uh, verse 38, some of the disciples, as we see, called Jesus Rabbi, which means, uh, literally means teacher. In uh, verse 41, Andrew becomes the first to really announce Jesus' identity when he tells his brother Peter, what he says, we have found the Messiah. Very clear, we have found the Messiah, he's here. In verse 49, we hear uh, Nathaniel say to Jesus, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Uh, finally, we hear from Jesus Himself near the end of the reading. Uh, he says, Most assuredly, and this is down in verse 51, Most assuredly I say to you, Hereafter you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Again, we remember the title Son of Man was Jesus' personal favorite. If he, if he referred to himself as a Son of Man more than any other title. So in these, this, these short verses we have, we see Jesus called the Word, the Lamb of God, the Son of God, Rabbi, Messiah, King of Israel, Son of Man. That's, was that seven titles? I didn't count them. One, two, three, four, five, six. Six titles. Seven. I did count them right. Seven titles right here in the first chapter, all referring to one person. Now again, there's um, a lot here, and we'll talk about it hopefully at the end, uh, but we're going to focus a lot of our time looking at this particular title, the Lamb of God. So John the Baptist used it twice when referring uh, to Jesus to announce His coming and His appearance. Now we find uh, this particular title has uh, a significant place in church history. Uh, you can find this title used in the church's art. Uh, you can find it in the church's music. It's a, it's a commonly used, a well-used uh, title. Now, it, to, And he mentions that because it is used a lot. It's, it's a lot in our, uh, like what we just mentioned, But it might seem strange that this title, the Lamb of God, is only found in two books of the Bible. And both of the books are written by the same man, John. Right? We see the title used here in John's John's Gospel, and then we see it used in the last book of the Bible, in Revelation. But that's the only time this title is used in the New Testament. Uh, So we see it here in chapter 1. We also see it over in Revelation 5. And if you remember uh, about Revelation, uh, Revelation 5 is that chapter about the one being uh, who is worthy to open the scrolls, if you remember. A wonderful chapter, an amazing thing to read. Um, you remember there was the scroll was present and there was what? No one there worthy. Who is worthy to open it, right? And then there was a pause, right, as... as, as as almost it was done for effect, but it, it did have an effect, and it had effect on John, didn't it? When he's watching these things, right? John's seeing this heavenly vision, and and there's the scroll there, and 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 they ask who is worthy to open, it, and it was almost as if there was no one. And what John said, I began to weep. There's no one worthy to open the scroll. But then what happened? One of the elders who was present came to John and said, "What? Do not weep." Do not weep. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has prevailed. 
to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And then what does John say? He says, I looked and then behold, in the middle of the throne and the four living creatures and in the midst of all the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. What vivid imagery. What what vivid imagery, what text to use here to describe this. And what does he say? It, it, it is a, is a stood a lamb as though it had been slain. And then what did the, the angel added uh, later in that chapter? He said, the angel said, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. This slain lamb. So, we see here in John's Gospel, this is John the Baptist's words, obviously referring uh, to Jesus as the Lamb of God. And then we see the Apostle John and his when he was on the island in this heavenly vision. And we see that Jesus in that heavenly vision was honored as the Lamb of God. One who was standing there as one who had been slain. This title uh, of the Lamb of God, according to, to Sproul and others, had generated somewhat of an academic controversy over the years. Uh, and the reason why is uh, that nowhere in the Old Testament do we find a lamb being used for the expiation of sins. Okay, for the so lambs were used, right? When we're going to talk about some of that, but never for the exposition of sins. In the Old Testament, we have sin offerings that were used primarily of bulls and of goats, and were used in the sacrifices. We even see the use of a scapegoat. You remember, you know, a lot of us, you know, may have thought that that term, the scapegoat, was something we came up with, right? It's not, right? We remember, this is back to. Old Testament uh, Israel. We find the scapegoat. You remember what will happen to the scapegoat, right? It was, uh, the, the, it was the symbolic, it was the sacrifice of the sins being placed on the scapegoat. And then what happened? Driven out into the wilderness, right? Uh, to take away the sins of the, the people. Uh, but lambs were not used on a regular basis here. So the critics, some critics would say, well, John, the apostle here, just made that up and recorded it as though John the Baptist said it. Like he just he just put these words in here. John the Baptist really didn't say that. Well, in uh, response to that, then some would say, uh, "Well, we do find lamb metaphors in the Old Testament." If we go to Isaiah fifty-three, when God gave that uh, prophecy or that uh, uh, the verses, uh, the, the vision of the suffering servant, if you remember, in Isaiah fifty-three. What does Isaiah say about the suffering servant? He says that the servant of God was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and that God laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then in verse 6 of 53, he says, The servant was led, how? Like a lamb to the slaughter. As a ship, as a, excuse me, as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. So we see this suffering servant. We all know uh, this is a prophecy about the Messiah, how the Messiah would come, how he would be, uh, how he would be um, uh, wounded for our transgressions and bruised. 
and led as Isaiah said it, as he was given the words from the Lord, led as a lamb to the slaughter. So in Isaiah 53, uh, we see the suffering servant, this servant of God compared to a lamb, don't we? However, even in those verses, he's not called the lamb of God, is he? He's compared to a lamb, he's not called the lamb of God. So the critics as they're out there, they would maintain that John made this up. He didn't really... Um, that John the Baptist really didn't say that. Well, Dr. Sproul says, I wonder if list, if the critics, you know, hear, hearing what they're saying, their criticism of this, he said, I wonder if it has ever occurred to them that John the Baptist was himself a prophet. Was he not? He was the last Old Testament prophet. Okay, we don't think about that sometimes because we only find about John the Baptist in the New Testament, right? But he's the last Old Testament prophet. So if he's a prophet, then he has what? He has authority. He has authority to bring what? New revelation. Because he gets it straight from God Himself, right? So that was Sproul's point. I wonder if, if they thought about that about the authority of John the Baptist as a prophet, because he had just as much authority uh, as the Old Testament prophets like Isaiah and the others. Isaiah, we read from 53, John the Baptist had just as much authority. So, the idea of Jesus as the Lamb of God was not necessarily invented by John the Baptist. It was God's own designation for His Son. And it was given through John the Baptist as the prophet, the prophet John the Baptist. Now, we're going to trace, uh, we're going to spend some more time tracing this theme of the Lamb and the significance of this in the Scriptures. Well, this theme, as you know, can be traced way back uh, into the beginning uh, and back into Genesis uh, 22 when God called Abraham to do what? To offer his son, Isaac, as a sacrifice. And all of you remember the, the account because you're all well-versed in your Old Testament, right? Um, Abraham did just as God told him to do, just as he instructed him to do. And in verses uh, 7 and 8 of Genesis 22, Isaac, being aware of what was happening and paying attention to what was going on, he, he observed, you know, there's there's something missing here, right? We're, we're going to make a sacrifice, but there's something missing. It says, And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And then these words from Abraham, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. You know, when you read that, it says, God will provide for Himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And truly, Abraham believed. Well, Abraham, Abraham didn't know exactly what was going to happen. Abraham believed that if he, he was going to do exactly what God said, right? He was going to sacrifice the son. But Abraham knew there's, the promises made through his lineage, right? God has made these promises, these covenant promises, and, and Abraham believed God. He said, so if... I'm to kill my son here. God can raise him back up. 
I mean, if the, it, God has the plan, I believe what God has said. And of course, we see here that He says God will provide for Himself. It's almost like a play on words. It's not, but if you think about it, God will provide Himself as a lamb. You think about that foreshadowing what would to come so many uh, thousands of years later. Well, we know what happened. Just as Abraham was about to plunge the knife into his son Isaac, what? God stopped him. God stopped him. Then in verse 12, this is the Lord speaking, this is God Himself speaking, Do not lay your hand on the lad, or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And then what happened? There was a commotion, right? Abraham uh, looked behind him and what was caught? There was a ram caught in the thicket. God had indeed provided a lamb as the sacrificial substitute to go instead of Isaac. And so this idea of God providing the lamb, okay, this idea of God providing for Himself the sacrifice underlines the entire doctrine of the atonement of Christ. It's here in Genesis 22. It's already there of God setting forth the path and setting forth what would happen in all of redemptive history. And so we know this instance, what we read here with Abraham and Isaac, uh, again is a foreshadowing of to what would come as Jesus would then come in the right time, in the fullness of time as the Scriptures tell us, right? That Jesus came at exactly uh, the right time and He acted as our substitute. And as the hands of man were to to nail uh, Jesus to a cross, uh, as He was being, uh, His life was being, um, was just pouring out of Him, uh, when back when when Abraham was about to just plunge the knife, God stopped his hand. But we all know that when Christ was hanging on the cross, God's hand did not stop. God did not stop His own hand. Now His His He's in the place of Abraham in a way, isn't He? He's there, but God stopped Abraham. Said, "No, I know that you believe me. I'll provide for myself." And now. At the cross, at exactly the right time, God did exactly what He said He would do. He would provide for Himself in a very real way. He would provide Himself as the Lamb, and then the knife would not stop. And God would drop the knife on His own Son. And so we see the wrath of God being poured out on His own Son because of not His Son's sin, but because of our sin. And poured upon Christ instead of us. And so God did, as He said in Genesis 22, God provided the Lamb. He provided the Lamb of His own, which was also His own Son. What about uh, during the Passover? Another significant event in redemptive history, right? Um we know uh, the plagues that were happening, uh, the ten plagues, and as God prepared the final, the tenth plague that He was going to bring upon the people of Egypt, Egypt, He told them what? He told the God's people, right? He said, I'm going to kill the firstborn, but He told God's people to do what? You slay a lamb without blemish. Find a lamb without blemish. 
and then take the blood of the lamb and spread it on your doorpost. And then as the angel of death would come to, to, to come across the nation to kill the firstborn, God made a promise to His people. God always keeps His promises. His word has proven that God is faithful to keep all of His promises, lest we ever doubt Him. But as the God promised, if you do what I tell you to do, if you obey, if you take what I say on faith and you believe it, just like Abraham did. I told Abraham to do it. God, He believed me. I provided a way. I'm telling you now, people of Israel, you believe me, you do what I say, and you'll be saved. And of course, they were. The, all the ones who obeyed that had the, door, uh, the blood over the doorpost, and when the angel of death came, he did what? He passed over. Right? He passed over. In, in that case, uh, the tenth plague, uh, the blood of lambs caused the people to be spared from God's judgment. They were passed over. And so we see in a very real way, in a very real sense, the Lamb of God that we read about here in John's Gospel would redeem uh, His people from the penalty of their own sin. And when God's judgment was coming, when in a very real sense, just as the way the blood on the doorpost as the angel would pass over, when God the Father looks at you and me at final judgment, we don't have the lamb, we don't have the blood of a lamb on our doorpost, but in a very real sense, we have the blood of the lamb covering us, don't we? He is our covering, the blood of the lamb of God who takes away our sin. And so when God looks at us, he doesn't see our sin because we have it, right? It's in us. We have it. He sees the blood of his son and he passes over. And he says that the debt for that person has been paid. My son paid that. So he's or she doesn't have to experience that a judgment. So given, we've just mentioned two uh, examples in the Old Testament, I think it would be uh, foolish to say that this concept of the Lamb of God is an invention of John. I think we see... Uh, John the Baptist used this title for a purpose. He knew exactly what he was doing when he when this title was was recorded here, um, and it's clear that John the Baptist knows his Old Testament better than the people of the time, right? Better than the, even the folks in the time. When we think about all these titles, um, Doctor Sproul points out that uh, all the ones we just mentioned, the seven used here in the first chapter, he says, you know, I really don't think. Um, that John the Baptist or any other disciples that are mentioned here uh, really understood the meaning of what the titles that they were saying. Now, this is very early on, right? This is very early in Jesus' ministry. And so um, a lot of the people here of the time had their own ideas. They had some assumptions about what the Messiah would do. After all, remember uh, later over in uh, Luke 7, you remember what John the Baptist, when he was um, he was in prison, you remember? And he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes... Well, I'm sorry. It, here in this, his confession is, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin. But later, if you remember, over in Luke 7, he was put into prison and he had questions, didn't he? He was thinking to himself, This is not going like it's supposed to go. 
right? Or how he thought it would go, right? And so he sent messengers back to Jesus and said, what? Are you the one? Are you the coming one? Are you the one we're looking for? Or should we be looking for someone else? Okay, this is the same man who this confession here, behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin. The same man, uh, later as he's in prison, he's got some questions. He's not exactly sure. Really, what's... Is he, is, is he really it? Is Jesus it? So we see that even John the Baptist didn't fully understand who Jesus was. Well, again, his problem, like uh, the others, is that he had his own expectations. Right? He had his own expectation. He, like many others uh, that struggled with this, uh, expected Jesus to do what? They, they expected a literal king uh, that he was coming in now, and he was going to remember. Remember, they, they've been under Roman occupation for years now, and so they resented the nation of Israel. Resented this Roman occupation. So, what did they expect him? Jesus is going to have an uprising. He's going to lead this big uh, victory, and he's going to drive out the Romans, and we're going to have our land back. And so that's what they were looking for. But what were they seeing? Was God driving any Roman out? No. God's Jesus is preaching and he's teaching he's not doing any of the things that they really kind of expected him to do so they were confused they were confused how did how did jesus uh, respond to john's question we find the answer in luke 7 uh, verse 22 and says what go and tell john the things that you have seen and the things that you have heard that one, the blind see. Two, the lame walk. Three, the lepers are cleansed. Four, the deaf hear. Five, the dead are raised. And number six, the poor have been given have the gospel preached to them. What was what was Jesus doing? He he was pointing to his ministry, pointing to the miracles. Remember the purpose of miracles? What miracles were given to men of God to do what? To authenticate the ministry, right? To say it was God's way, He gave miracles, it was God's way to say, this person is from me. They are legit. Okay, that's why they were given. So what Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm the real deal. Look at what has been happening. But there was another reason, right, that, that, that He used those words. Going back, where? To Isaiah, to the Old Testament, right? Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2. What does Isaiah say? He says, The Spirit of the Lord of God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and to the opening of the prison for those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of our Lord. You see the similarities? What did Jesus... You know Jesus knows His Old Testament, right? Because He wrote it, didn't He? And so you see what... Jesus is saying, just just go tell John what you see. Just go, just go tell him what you see. It was almost as if uh, Jesus was saying, this was Sproul's words, he said, John, if you had studied your Bible, you wouldn't have these questions. Right? How many, how many times should we say that of ourselves, right? When we see things happening. Jason, if you just studied your Bible a little bit more, you wouldn't have these questions. John, Jesus could say, John, you had it right. John the Baptist, you had it right the first time. I am the Lamb of God who takes away the sins. You were right. Don't question yourself. 
Well, you remember um, Peter, who we meet here in the first um, chapter, was also confused at one point. Remember him? Um, Jesus had asked, remember Jesus was asking the disciples, who do the people say I am? Remember? And, and they started giving all these, you know, you're a prophet, you're a teacher, you're a rabbi, whatever. And then Jesus said what? Well, who do you say I am? And I gave off some, some, some answers. But then what did Peter say in Matthew 16? This famous confession of Peter, right? Peter, who do you say I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. A number one, exactly the right answer. And then what did Jesus affirm that? Jesus did not deny that. Right? Jesus, He did not say you're wrong. No, he, he, he affirmed that. And He said you're exactly right. And then He blessed Peter, didn't He? But then, right afterwards, Jesus was about to tell them some hard things. Again, working on these assumptions. These assumptions, these expectations, right? Life is full of... Uh, if you look at the disappointments in your life, it's what? It's unmet expectations, right? That you look, at, look in your life. Look at the things that cause you disappointment. It's, it's some expectation that you created that's unmet, right? And it's usually on someone else. You expected something out of someone else, a person, a loved one, a family member. You're expecting them to behave or to do a certain thing. And then they don't, and then you're let down. Right? Life is full of unmet expectations. They cause us all kind of grief. Every day, right? They cause us they cause us grief, they cause us pain. But we have the same thing here. That's not new, it's happening here. They had the same unmet expectations. And so Jesus says, What? I gotta go and suffer and die at the hands of the people. And Peter said, What? Absolutely not. And then, what did Jesus say? Get thee behind me. Right? Jesus had some strong words for Peter. So, one minute, Peter's affirming the true identity of Christ. And the next minute, he's still confused, really, about what Jesus is here to do and what the Messiah had come to do. And again, if um, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we are prone to be confused about what Jesus is here to do. Yeah, we, we understand uh, the gospel message, but we get confused sometimes about what Jesus is doing in our own life, don't we? Um, sometimes we have to do the same thing. We have to step back. We have to look at the whole picture. You know, have you, or have you met someone who's um, had a certain level of expectation when coming to know Jesus and hearing the gospel and you hear... And you hear it said a lot of times when people, uh, there's a lot of people who who, ha- who get the gospel all wrong and they present it in such a way that, hey, you just come to Jesus, right? And, and then everything's going to be okay. Right? You hear, and, and so to that person who's struggling with whatever, when they hear that, that's exactly what they want to hear. Man, everything's going to get better. Well, in reality, what happens? It gets harder. And so they have now an unmet expectation. Well, first, because they got the wrong idea out the gate, right? They were given some bad information, <laughs> right? Uh, life doesn't get easier. Uh, but you can see how that can create an, an unreasonable expectation, an unmet expectation, and they may be let down. But I think if, again, I agree with Dr. Spro, I think if we're honest, we're all prone to some sort of confusion about uh, Jesus, but as we, 
as we remind ourselves, as we go back to the Word, as we read the Word and we see the themes that are just flowing through Scripture, not just one book, I mean the whole Bible, when you look at the themes and you zoom out for a minute and you look at all of redemptive history, it's truly amazing what Jesus is doing. And Jesus is there and He is He's doing what? He's 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 saving us from our sins. Absolutely He has done that. He is He is turning people's value systems upside down. I mean He's He's totally just changing everybody's idea about themselves and the world and, and it's 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 major. It's a big deal, isn't it? It's a big deal, and it's so it's it's we see as we we just take into account his life, the way he this his we we know virtually nothing about the first thirty years of his life, but three years of ministry is completely counter to what everybody thought he was going to be doing. Right, completely counter. You look at going to uh, the cross, the the resurrection, the ascension, uh, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at. Pentecost. We, as we consider all these amazing things that back in Genesis, as it was told, it's going to happen, and you see these thousands of years, this redemptive history, and you see Him coming in the fullness of time and, and accomplishing these things. It's then when we really begin to see the depths and the riches of what really is happening, right? And it and it should humble us. It should humble us as we consider. What the Son of God did. And how He did it. It, it, should, um, it should really help us understand this announcement, right? That John the Baptist made. He said it. It's obvious that maybe at some point he didn't really understand it, but he knew it anyway when he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That is a profound statement. Of what Jesus was here to do. Any uh, questions or any uh, comments today? Um, you know, a couple. Of, as I said in the, in the, the, the introduction, Sproul spent his time talking about what we just went over. Um, here we see a couple of other points that are really neat. We've got just a couple minutes, but we won't spend long here. But you see the calling of disciples when Jesus said, follow me. And they came. They didn't ask, right? Follow me. Uh, one thing that I was reading in Calvin's commentary, he said, you know, it's what we see here is is the difference when when God wakes someone up from their sin." When God saves someone, when God gives them eyes to see, what do they do? They pick up and they follow. They go. Not everybody does that, right? The message of the gospel goes forth. Sometimes it falls on deaf ears. But the message of the gospel still has to go forth. For for the one whose ears are closed, what does it serve? It serve as it serves as 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 an indictment on them because they're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day having heard the message but did not respond did not receive they will be without excuse but to those who God has given eyes to see who has he has saved them has made them a new creation when when Jesus says follow me they get up they respond they follow him it's a wonderful uh, thing that we see also here in these verses here.
Anything else? Any other comments that anybody wants to add? Anything on these verses? Okay. I'll go ahead and close in prayer then. Heavenly Father, we thank You for our time this morning. Father, we um, are guilty of having some unmet expectations uh, about You, about making some assumptions, Father, that we never are free to make about You and what You're doing in, in the world, in our church, in our lives, in our personal lives, Father. But we just ask that uh, You continue to uh, lead us in all Your ways and lead us in truth, Father, and guide us and forgive us when we when we do these, when we when we make these assumptions about You, Father, when we presume on, on Your grace, when we fail to realize uh, who You are and what You're doing in the world. Father, forgive us. And give us eyes and ears to see and hear. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.